So yeah, we're sort of now we're rounding out. We've got two hours left on this. Um, so what we might do now is we might enter the section of the podcast where we just talk about random observations. Yeah. So things that we, we've noticed about the... Uh, <laughs> good morning, America, Mr. Green. How are you? Um, but uh, one of our listeners wishes us good morning. Good morning. But yes, so... Um, Breakfast time back home, as they used to say <laughs> on, on, on the, the ad for uh, Denny's uh, Irish Sausages. <laughs> I like that. You can hear the tiredness creeping. It is coffee time. It's, I suggest it might indeed be coffee time. Uh, but yeah, so just in terms of what we normally do is when we reach the end of the podcast that we're doing, we go through our notes and we and we pick Irish sausages. <laughs> Andrew, I will buy you breakfast. This no, out. no, no. Um, but yeah, so in terms of like things that we. <laughs> Oh, it's midnight there. It is actually, it'll be midnight in Washington. It'll be midnight on sort of on the Pacific Coast now, actually, which oh. is kind of cool. Um, so we, we should see through to 1 a.m., which would be great, you know, which is pretty cool. Ooh. But yeah, um, just maybe it's not the Pacific Coast, actually. It's probably 11 p.m. out on the Pacific Coast. But just in terms of, so what we normally do. We yeah, do I'm not doing the math. <laughs> oh, hey, thank, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> you're, 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 um, yeah, you're saying these things and, and I'm like, uh-huh. I'm just agreeing, <laughs> nodding mainly. But yeah, so what we normally do when we reach the end of the podcast is we go through our notes and we figure out if there's anything that we have that we wanted to talk about that we haven't yet had a chance to talk about with regards to what we've discussed. So, I mean, normally if we're talking about a two-hour film, this takes about 10, 15 minutes. I figure that, you know, if we're doing it, uh, if we're doing this for, you know, a 20, an 18-hour podcast, we should be able to stretch this out to about 15 minutes an hour. I think that should be doable, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, 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 um in one of in one of the first scenes, um, I think I mentioned already that we have um, uh, Michael Bisping, who's this kind of uh, middleweight uh, UFC fighter. You and pointed I, him I, out, and I remember being really you being slightly disappointed that I didn't know who this guy was. No, no, no. Uh, but it, it it seems like this thing that we're probably going to see a lot of in 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 movies that there'll be the, the um, we're we're <clears throat> kind of used to seeing um, WWE um, uh, uh, wrestlers in movies, but I I, I think increasingly, um, I know one of our movies on the bottom one hundred has the uh, former welterweight UFC champion uh, uh, Tyron Woodley. You're it. talking about Prison Break too. Prison right? Break which, too. Which we'll be talking yeah. about sometime soon with a bit of luck. Um, but yeah, um, also worth noting the number of cameos and sort of appearances. There's This film, this series is popular with a phenomenal array of actors, even outside of the usual sort of Lynchian collaborators. I mean, again, Lynch has this stable of actors with whom he works, which who are just generally amazing. Um, I mean, a couple of favorites, obviously, Harry Dean Stanton. I think Naomi Watts is amazing. But even stuff like sort of newcomers. Jim Belushi, I didn't think I was yeah. going to enjoy that. As, as much as I did. Jim Belushi's great. Um, yeah. And he's and very, I, very well. I mentioned Brett Gelman. I love uh, Brett Gelman. Um, anyone um, who uh, appreciates kind of disgusting dark comedy will enjoy. Have I ever played Eyebrain uh, for you? No, um, and not anytime soon. Maybe, maybe next weekend. Maybe next. Yeah, week. maybe, maybe. Maybe next weekend. I, 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 I did enjoy um, Sam's uh, subtle, um, damn fine coffee look when, when, when he's handed the, 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 the coffee by Tracy, and he kind of like has a sip of it, and then kind of looks at the coffee as if he's thinking, damn fine coffee, and it's a very, very kind of like a knowing kind like, of an. Audience you know what thing. you're expecting. From yeah. This. 
Um, and again, like um, worth noting, actually, if we're talking about like if we're just talking through the, the series in terms of that, um, I liked again a number of really small roles for people like Charlene Yee, which was astounding. I actually pause and check the credits oh, yeah. to make sure that she's she was there. Char- Charlene Charlene Yee and uh, Michael Zara uh, re- reunited <laughs> from uh, what was it? Um, uh, Paper Heart. I'm not, I'm not sure you can call it reunited if they're no, separated they're n- by a total not, of 11 not. episodes of television. Uh, 11 hours Well, apart. maybe there was a part in, in episode 17 where they... Um, yeah, they were, they're, I'm sure Charlene Yee was wondering, kind of like, why wasn't I, why wasn't I there? should find out, actually, how much um, uh, cutscenes there were in this. Um, I also quite like the, and it's it's early in episode three, and this is one of the things with the the bell design actually. And it only really occurred to me when I was rewatching Firewalk with Me, because Firewalk with Me cuts to the FBI headquarters in Philadelphia, which is where Gordon Cole is based, um, and it the shot is of the Liberty Bell with a crack in it, yeah. and I I really like that in the return, the lodge residents use all these like bells. Uh, to use basically these things to get around and like famously Jeffries is trapped inside a kettle um, Lynch is on record as saying actually that like if he could change one thing about Twin Peaks The Return he would make it so that the little spout that comes from like the, the container holding Jeffries is straight so it looked less like a tea kettle because uh, he apparently he well, Lynch is very tolerant of people's interpretations of his work. He did find it a bit annoying that everyone's like, well, now David Bowie's in a tea kettle. And, um, like, was that the only change? Because, <laughs> they, because I, I, I remember um, the first time Agent Cooper goes up a uh, one of those um, uh, ladders um, and opens a hatch and is on this kind of, like, rectangle uh, floating in space yeah. with, with, uh, which is somehow off the top of a castle in the sea yeah with it, with it, and, and, and on the top of on top of the rectangle there is again this kind of uh, bell, like little teapot yeah. <laughs> um, it's more like a bell like a those, bell those yeah, yeah. Like bells. and that reminded me of the Liberty Bell um, and again it this reminded one... me of, of of an 80s music video was, which one I mean, in particular it, it, I don't know it felt like aha <laughs> <laughs> like take on me where you like come out of this hatch and, <laughs> and um, it would be improbable yeah um, and yeah there, but, but I, 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 I don't know there was just something about the the um that that made me that made me think kind of 80s music video well, maybe of, he wanted it to be 80s music video and that's why if he had the chance to do it again he would do it just the exact same way but that that's uh, but this is this is the thing with the um again like we should while we're talking about episode three again those those can bells, i go back to episode one okay we'll go back to episode one in a moment but like just those bells can we please okay that bell reminded me of um, the Liberty Bell uh, from Twin Peaks The Return and this idea of this fundamental piece of American iconography that in real life has this crack in it this fundamental crack in it and kind of like I like the idea that like the across the entirety of space and time you have a replica of this and even though like that flaw maybe isn't obvious in all of them the fact that these containers they sort of I don't know they to me that was Again, this is me talking. I'm delirious, sleep deprived. But like that was one of those great visual sort of uh, sort of contrasts or juxtapositions. Was the idea of that cut to the Liberty well, Bell in in? It looks more like a cowbell than than the Liberty Bell. As in, as in as in like we we <laughs> we don't the like it's it's kind of black and um, we don't see the bottom of it and yeah. 
But yeah, no, no. Uh, uh, anyway, um, sorry. Let's go back it's to episode one. You want to, to go, you want to go back to episode one? Let's I think back. it might be. Maybe it's episode two. Which, well, which, they're all which, they're all part of one block. They're, yeah, they're, which which um, I liked. Um, oh, when, um, just, when just the when Ms. the Mister Green is is asking about the New York building, and I think I mentioned this earlier. But I wonder if the New York building, uh, which it sort of evokes Thirty Three Thomas Street. Which is this sort of conspiratorial building that's rumored to be used for spies with no windows on the outside? It was subject of like the season eleven episode of the X Files. This and it's very much like a center of like conspiracy sort of theory, theory and speculation. I wonder if it's meant to be that. That's sort of my pet theory: is that it's it's sort of Lynch and Frost playing with this sort of piece of pop iconography. The thing I really enjoyed in I think it was episode two. Um, we come to Buckhorn. I think, and we're, and we're wondering, and 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 they have coal, uh, like kind of like, oh, that's fine language. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that what, no, yeah. What, what did you call me or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah Buckhorn, you say. <laughs> um, but you you go into Buckhorn and you've no idea what's going on, and then they 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 have the guy out, out outside Harvey, and he's like. Um, did Hank tell you? And you have the 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 police officer responding to him, and he's just so confused. Yeah. And he's like, "Who's Hank?" I like. Um, I, I I love how this cop is is the audience in 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 that scene. Yeah. Is that? But also and, that and, him- and the, you have that a lot in Lynch. How how people are really like kind of confused and bewildered. Like like you 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 have it at at. At the end of it, when the Mitchum brothers are like, "What the f- is going on?" <laughs> um, the words right out of my mouth. Um, but yeah, like there, there's this this sort of thing that runs through it that, and I wonder if this is kind of like we we joke about the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department and how effective or ineffective they might be, but I actually really like the idea that um, what do you call it that you have um, when you're outside Twin Peaks and you're a cop. You have no idea how to deal with this crap. But when you're in Twin Peaks and you're like Sheriff Truman, you're just like, well, Hawk showed me this map with a whole bunch of stuff on it. Guess yeah. I'm wandering out into the wilderness for four Most days. Most kind of like days. small towns are worried that like <laughs> drugs are going to come in from the big city. Yeah. <laughs> in, 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 in this, but to be fair, they've got Bobby Briggs on this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And this is the kind of medium-sized cities are 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 worried that like small towns in adjacent states are going to bring in supernatural forces. Yeah. But and, 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 and the the reaction of the police there, where he he uh, they they walk into the room and see that there's like her her um uh, uh, neck has been kind of sliced open. And he's like, uh oh, <laughs> and, and and then the bed sheet gets uncovered to reveal that it's uh, another man's. Um, Body. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, be be beheaded, um, and again he's like, "Uh oh, did we ever find Major Briggs's head?" No, maybe well, we, <laughs> we, we did because it's floating. Worse. It's floating in the in the, the sort of the. Um, sorry, we did not have donuts actually on the podcast. We Just did the listeners not. are asking. We didn't unfortunately we, get donuts. We 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 have um, mountains we of have, cherry pie, we and we so have many, a, so much cherry pie. We actually, and we have a whole bunch of brownies. We've got and stuff, some maple we, syrup. Yeah, brownies. We have those little lamb um, kind of um, cookie dough yeah. balls as well. Oh, we need to. Ha- I need to have one of those. Um, but yeah, just in in terms of then, are we done with episode one? We move on to episode three. 
Yeah, I've like I again, like I said, they all kind of melt together. So I'm, <laughs> I'm no, I, I have no clue kind of um, where I am. We had yeah, we had log lady meeting, um, well, uh, calling um, Deputy Hawk. I love the kind of ideal kind of married life between um, uh, uh, Bill Bill Hastings and um, like this this. This un unhappy marriage between uh, Bill and Phyllis that they're keeping kind of together for appearances, and the, the main thing is like he cannot be arrested, not because I love him, but because the Morgans <laughs> yeah, are coming, coming for dinner, for <laughs> which is <laughs> which is brilliant. Um, but yeah, just in terms of of this in episode three because episode three is the one that has the mouth zone and this is interesting because we've been we talked a little bit with andy about the occult and stuff and about sort of occult theory and uh psycho sort of uh you know sort of like jungian psychology and stuff like that and i mostly steer clear of it on the podcast so far because uh, i didn't want to wade into it but i did make notes and i think that this is kind of interesting about the mouth sea about like the air the purple sea that like cooper sort of crosses uh which is like uh, Kenneth Grant, uh, who's an occult writer, he wrote the, the Beyond the Mao Zone, and he described the Mao Zone, which is like the tree of, of life's death, as a self-contained world at the very edge of reality between what human beings can experience and quote-unquote non-existence. Magical manipulations of human reality could be done there by alien beings that would be considered as monsters. It could be visited in a particular kind of sleep and sent messages to human reality via phenomena like UFOs. And one of the main entities associated is called the daughter. In terms of the sea, it's also worth noting that Lynch repeatedly in his work. um, What is going on? That Lynch repeatedly in his work and including in in his autobiographies and uh, refers to... His consciousness and and his mind and like human consciousness as an ocean, right? And in fact, like it should be noted that his book on transcendental meditation is called "Catching the Big Fish," um, implying that you're digging beneath the surface to find something. And so, like the sea in which Cooper finds himself, the mouth sea, the purple sea, um, that it might be that it, first of all evokes the work of Kenneth Grant, his occult work, this sort of idea of this sort of mouth zone that exists. But also that it like plays with Lynch's idea of the subconscious as a sea, as something that you dive beneath. And he's talked about how, you know, again, Lynch uses this metaphor of diving and swimming and exploring when talking about consciousness. And when talking about like the subconscious as well, uh, which is kind of interesting. And I wonder if that sort of reflects a lot of what you see in that episode when he lands there. It should also be noted that the... Um, like fishing. Yeah. Kind of as 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 in like kind of like how how the how the show starts, which literally starts again, yeah, with Pete Martell going out fishing, and, and ironically, to to some extent, it ends with Pete Martell finally getting to go fishing. I like the idea that the ending of Twin Peaks is Pete Martell finally gets a happy ending where he can go fishing uninterrupted. Yeah, um, but it is worth noting actually You're fishing up stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing beneath that surface, unfortunately. There's nothing to sort of get there. But I mean, there is um, something to be said as well for just the lavender peach word, a world. Um, cinematographer Peter Deming and um, Bill was on earlier and was had a lot of praise for him, deservedly so. But apparently, the lavender peach world of Cooper's dream um, was not something that necessarily Lynch intended from the outset, according to an interviewer with the American Cinematography Society uh, magazine. 
he was saying that like it was just something that emerged through experimentation this is one of the reasons why david embraced digital photography so quickly the number of paintbrushes you have in different chains of the process was intriguing to him and to be able to keep creating up until the bitter end um is 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 very sort of attractive to him which is something that he really really liked um and so like it's interesting to see again the purple sea is sort of like uh you know, is it is something that's a result of like Lynch being open to experimentation to a certain extent. It's funny actually thinking of these um these places as in um different dimensions are uh, are of um existing in a kind of uh, subconscious. Because I, I, I um I remember like if we have any Aquinas scholars um listening they 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 might correct me but I I remember reading Thomas Aquinas and he was kind of like trying to um make sense of the separation of 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 body and soul and he was saying well the the the, the body will be reunited uh, with the soul somewhere somewhere to the east we haven't got there because there's big mountains in the way but that it was it was it was the, the an an i an idea of the kind of like uh, resurrection happening some somewhere um physically yeah. kind of um on Material, earth yeah. and I, I think about kind of um this uh purple sea is that a place yeah. that, that you can uh, yeah, go to um well this is this is the thing and it's kind of again i made i made know this and we haven't really talked about this because there's so much to talk about but the idea of electricity and power and energy as it flows through Lynch's world. And it's again, it's a preoccupation. It's very much an extension of we talked about the images, the road imagery and the idea that Lynch sees America as almost like a system of roads that connect you. The roads cross the deserts. They run through the little groves. They go through forests. But like roads get you everywhere and then you kind of peer through the darkness into them and stuff like that. But you also have power lines. A lot yeah, of shots in this of like overhead power lines and so radio noise as well. So electromagnetic uh, uh, sing- sig- signals. Oh, um, Eco Rich made an observation there when you were talking about um, the idea of Thomas Aquinas believing that the soul goes the east. That uh, and again, I will point this out. Cooper drives east to reunite with to reunite his soul. At the yeah. end of the at the end, so maybe there's well, maybe to so. Yeah, I think you may have cracked this one, Andrew, which would be great. <laughs> After all my nonsense, Andrew's like, I just let me just Deputy Andy just gets right to the bottom of this. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I really like Lynch's use Thank of electricity. You. The the idea that like electricity, and particularly because it's the way in which the the spirits seem to move through. It's the way in which Cooper enters the the real world is by like traveling through electricity and landing in a power socket in that like room with uh, with Jade and and with Dougie. Is that he literally sort of comes through the electronic charge as well. And you have this discussion of like when Hawk is talking about the map, the fire. And again, like the log lady talks about fire and how fire is sort of dangerous. And obviously fire an essential part of the Twin Peaks mythos. The the woodsmen are like black charcoal black as if they've been in, in a fire, as if they like travel through a fire. But there's also like this idea of fire walk with me as an expression of it. And the idea that fire is something that burns and consumes. And even like within what? Got a light. Got a light, exactly. And the atomic fire of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And even like when Hawk is talking about his map, he's talking about, you know, this is fire or just energy. You might call it electricity. And mm. there's this idea that, again, this is like Lynch isn't anti-technology by any stretch of the imagination, no. to be absolutely clear. But there's very much a sense that like 
technology has evolved and there's this primal conduits and we built these networks around America in this case, the roads that connect us. Uh, not, I say us, we're not actually broadcasting from America, but the roads that connect America, that like the infrastructure that's been built around America, the radio waves, that it's all... We hope we get that green card someday. <laughs> yeah. So that every time we say us, it can, we can be true. actually mean America. But yeah, the, the idea that, yeah, it, it has that sort of like quality to it, that it has that sort of networking quality to it. And I really like that it comes up again and again in Lynch's work. And particularly here, this idea, and the, the humming. It's like well. there are only so many elements <laughs> and you can invent new things, but there are uh, new versions of older things and have to be that electricity is is is, is fire. fire just yeah. constituted again, just reconstituted again, because it's all power and it's all this idea of like, again, man invented fire. And, you know, sort of like the moment man invented fire was seen as a big moment for us technologically as a species sort of advancing. And then obviously you have the atomic bomb in episode eight, which is just an extrapolation of fire. Like, how are we going to get extent. fire from there on the sun <laughs> to here? here? On the earth. It's like, well, let me tell you, we'll have a little meeting about it. Yeah, that. I think they were thinking, like, if there was some way we could bridge the gap. <laughs> Between um, there and here, yeah. oh, it would be good. But yeah, no, we'll, I, we'll figure this out. But I, I, again, because this is sort of symbolic, I really, really like that. I like the, um, I like that sort of aspect of it, where... To lynch America as just a series of places that are connected and networked. And like even the humming, the sound of humming, which kind of seems to guide characters through like Twin Peaks. I mean, Ben Horn hears it in, in the hotel, you know, with Beverly in, in his room. And then even later on, you have the sequence where, um, you know, like James Hurley's underground in, in, the, in the Great Northern and he hears the sound sort of guiding him there as well. And you have that sort of like sense of like it's it's like the hum and the flow of power and electricity as we, if you can feel the, the storyline sort of guiding like us there and Dougie there or even like Cooper there to pick. Yeah, as 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 a point that like um, alongside the idea of electricity in in um, in Lynch and the importance of it in in Lynch's world. How important do we think vomit is? <laughs> vomit is very important because it's immediately sort of uh, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's um, we 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 have um, it's 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 amazing because because uh, Mister C has some kind of um, super vomit that uh, that. That the the oh yeah the, in the back the, seat of the car yeah yeah the, the, the person the guy, who yeah. came to the I think he's in intensive care <laughs> to be fair it, a lot yeah. of people in intensive care yeah exactly um, they're they're getting the help they need but there 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 uh, how many how many times do people vomit in this I think there is three at least well I mean there's the kid in the car at Bobby kid in the car um, yeah there's Mr Cooper vomiting um there's Dougie vomits doesn't he as yeah, well yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, and I mean, it's very much it's expelling part of yourself. It's like letting something of yourself out. And yeah, it's 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 kind of like um, it feels very sort of medieval. Yeah. In in oh, in the idea of expelling something yeah, like primal yeah. from within, Some the kind idea of that like humors Mr. or spirits. Yeah, Mister C's insides are quite literally rotten to the point that being exposed to them is toxic. Yeah. Um, in terms of this, I'd like to bring. 250 trope. I can't believe we got all the way through to, uh, you know, sort of 6.30 in the morning, one hour and a half away from finishing. Inappropriate smoking, Andrew. Lots and lots of inappropriate smoking. In fact, I've actually noted this down here. 
Um, there's like Richard Horn. Well, there's Diane. Yeah, well, well, Richard Richard Horn. You know, he's introduced. He's a bad egg. But the moment oh, yeah. you know, moment you know that Richard Horn has passed redemption is when he's smoking inappropriately in a bar. Yeah, and, and the bouncer comes over and says, "Hey, you can't smoke here." Yeah, and and they, 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 um, uh, Chad comes over and and says, "Oh, I I I can take care of this." He can't. <laughs> um, he uh, patently does not take care of it. He just gets a a cigarette case full of money. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, this is just as good <laughs> as taking care of it." Yeah, I've, like like um, I I think Chad has realized that um, uh. Taking bribes is easier than performing duties. <laughs> well, th- this is a, like let's talk a little bit about Chad actually because we have a moment. Chad is a, an interesting character, and I say interesting in inverted commas, but he's a character because he speaks to one of the arguments that's been made about um, about Chad or about Lynch is that like for Lynch, and this is the thing where we're extending from uh, Laura Dern's comment that Lynch actually and he genuinely does believe in Americana and in goodness and in, in decency and like fundamental innocence stuff like that despite the violence of his films and that you see in his films but it's very clear for example in Lynch's work one of the worst things you can be is a corrupt cop uh, because that's like a special kind of violation where you're taking the trust in which you've been which has been invested in you and you're betraying that community you're sort of you're breaking the bond that you've made with them, and, and it's in, it's almost remarkable that we don't have any politicians at in, all in Twin Peaks at the return. Yeah, you're yeah. sort of breaking that trust. Yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah, like like with 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 Doggy, um, uh, 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 Bushnell is kind of like this goes right to the top. Police corruption. <laughs> we're just setting a ceiling, right? There. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let, let, let's not get political. <laughs> we, don't, well, we don't want to get too heavy-handed on this. Yeah. But I mean, like, it's worth noting that, like, Chad. Everybody's like, it's very clear early on that Chad's a bad egg from the way the other police officers treat him, and it's like, oh, he's using the he's using the conference room to eat his lunch. <laughs> Can't be having that. Yeah, uh, I was thinking that they were maybe being a bit um, <laughs> unreasonable. Like, 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 I, I, I feel like rules, rules are generally there for, 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 for good reasons. Uh, I, I guess, but, but, yeah, I, I feel, I feel like it would have been difficult in their position to not say, um, "Sorry, Chad." which 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 they don't do um but yeah (laughs) sorry for interrupting you chat but i mean even then there's a sense of like you have andy andy gets to just offer a moral condemnation of chad where he's like you're a disgrace to the uniform basically and you give good cops a bad name um and that's like andy is one of the the show's sort of moral centers you know it's ideal of masculinity to a certain extent but even like in the plotline involving dougie that you pointed out where bushnell's like I mean, this goes all the way to the top. Crooked police officers. Uh, there's even the sequence with Tony, where Tony's like, oh, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to make this right. I'll testify against Mr. Todd. I'll come clean. I'll confess. It'll be grand. He's like, I'm going to need you to hand over the corrupt cops. And he's like, whoa, you don't know what you're asking. This is serious. Um, there's a sense that, like, in Lynch's world, like, he's so, he believes so much in the ideal and the purity of, like, American sort of culture and society, or Amer- soul culture and society in general, that a corrupt police officer is, like, a special it's kind of... bad evil. as it gets. Yeah, that's about it. Like, Mr. C, sure, I'll testify against him, but don't ask me to testify against those corrupt cops. It, it, and it, um, I remember looking, looking at the gambling scene where... Um, where Dougie wins 
30 jackpots. Sorry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm too tired. Hello. Which is um, just amazing. Um, How was, what was it like watching that the first time? Because I missed that. You watched that without me. Because um, I was, because you, you were in balance, though, I was up here. I kind of wanted to see what your reaction was. I was wondering, would you love it or would you hate it? That um, sequence with the casino. It was, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint everyone, but for some reason, like, like Dougie, <laughs> really didn't um didn't um uh, click with me until um until he um he um kind of uh, uh sorted out Ike the Spike and I think um I think part of the reason the he earned my respect there because cause Ike the Spike was so great. <laughs> If you can top, I mean, I mean, I mean, like as 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 a violent, like horrible character, he he does what you want him to do, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, um, so yeah, the, the, um, I'm uh, yeah, I'm going to disappoint people and say I, I didn't really kind of um, I didn't really take to him to be honest. Okay. Um, did um, I was wondering, looking at uh, those scenes though, whether whether David Lynch understands gambling, and I I think maybe <laughs> he does because I I know kind of like from an Irish context, like we're 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 next door to a bookies when 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 somebody um, wins, um, like from 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 like friends and acquaintance of mine who are inveterate gamblers. Um, when whenever they win so much as like five hundred euros, all of a sudden they're told like, "No, sorry, um, <laughs> you're you're not gambling anymore." Whereas whereas with um, in America, it seems because I've seen this in other movies, and I don't know how true it is. Because a lot of things you see in movies and television shows have no don't basis in fact. Yeah. yeah, where 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 the move is always kind of like always winning big. Let's uh, 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 pay for some stuff with him. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, well, let's get him a room and 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 a limousine. Let's see if let's see if we can win back this money from him. There was no point after him winning kind of twenty five thousand uh, dollars. It's like okay, uh, I think it's time for you to uh, uh, go home now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, that that's the thing. Is that, <clears throat> to be honest, though, when you win, there's a difference between winning five hundred euro and winning. You know, two hundred and seventy-five thousand euro. Yeah, no, but but like he he um I I I I was kind of like I was wondering about that scene. I was I was just like, why don't they just tell him to leave? <laughs> they they it's their casino. He just keeps on winning money and they, they um, <laughs> right to refuse entry. Yeah, <laughs> they, like like and um that's. That is, I imagine, something that they do in in in, in Vegas. Vegas. I mean, I mean, that's such a small point, and it's not like um, important or that. But but sometimes when these things kind of feel um, ridiculous, it's it's difficult to kind of um, it can be difficult to s- suspend a disbelief. Um, I guess, um, but maybe maybe that wasn't in in important to other people. Um, I'm kind of wary of bringing this up given our our early and recent discussion. But yeah, Gordon Cole and his girlfriends, which is a, a weird, interesting oh, yeah. motif. Where, yeah, the, and this the... is because it's Lynch himself playing Gordon Cole. There's this sort of interesting thing that runs through, and it's kind of self-aware, where yeah. where the 
there's a repeated reference to Gordon being amorous. There's um, in episode six, he's he's sent off. He's sent off Albert to go and get Diane. And he's on the phone saying, I'll be thinking of you as I drink this. Thank you, sweetheart. Uh, fine Bordeaux, um, which is great. Uh, but there's also like later on in the season, I don't know if it's episode 14 or episode 15, the sequence where his uh, <laughs> the, the woman whose mother owns a turnip farm or his mother's friend owns a turnip farm um, is putting her shoes on and getting ready to go while Albert is in the room. And Albert is so, so uncomfortable with this. And the scene just goes on and on and on. And the thing is, like, these sequences, and, and there's there's this weird... Cole sequ- can't help but smile. Yes. So of course he would, because he's got great, great wine. <laughs> great, great wine. It's very good Such wine. Such great wine. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's a sense in which this is kind of ridiculous, uh, and admittedly so. And, like, I mean, even there's the scene where at the Dakota prison, I think... Yeah, that's what I was actually just about to say this, because um, I think somebody in the comments beat me to it. But the sequence of the prison where Tammy's walking away and you have the cameras sort of lingering on her as she's walking away. Apparently that's... Uh, from, from, from speaking to Amy... Um, sorry, sorry, go no, ahead. No, go for it. Go for no, it. That, that, that she was saying that, that, that that's very much um, uh, who Krista is. Yeah. That oh, she yeah, has yeah. that uh, just kind of like uh, de- demure kind of like uh, 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 quality to her, I guess. But I mean, it, it's it's also like it initially. And there was if, a bit if, of, if 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 that's what Amy meant. There was a bit of criticism um, of of that kind of shot as being gratuitous, but it's kind of interesting because the show itself plays with that because you have again, and so he's already pointed out in the comment, but where Denise calls him out. There's a wonderful moment where like in episode three where he's like, so you're t- where Denise is like, so Gordon, you're taking um, you're taking Tammy Preston. And he's like, like, like and, she, um, and he's, he's like, yeah, she's a great agent, Denise. And she's like, really, Gordon? Yeah, the, the it's it's I, I love to call me really. I feel um, like I've, I've I feel like um, Cole would be justified in saying no, Denise you're sexist. She finished <laughs> top of her class at Quantico. All you see is a knockout sexy lady. Um, I, I, I see more than that. I mean, of course I see knockout sexy ladies. I see some most evenings of the week. But that is not the re- not the primary reason anyway. But there's also like the self-awareness of like the Monica Belushi dream where Monica yeah. Belushi, there's no reason for Monica Belushi to be in that dream apart from the fact that Lynch is like, yeah, I'm gonna gonna do a Monica Belushi. I'm gonna invite Monica Belushi to hang out with me in a Paris cafe while we shoot this scene, uh, which I wonder is that a nod to Inception? Again, we talked a little bit about like Lynch maybe homaging and referencing stuff that's been going on since he's been gone. But like, there's a little cafe sequence where it's a dream and he realizes he's in a dream. But it's not like Inception where all of a sudden everything explodes, which is what happens in the cafe in the Parisian dream. There, here it's just like. Well, it was very creepy and I couldn't see his face, which is arguably more like what dreams actually work like than Inception, which is a discussion that we had on our separate Inception podcast. But I quite like that. Did that, that actually happen? <laughs> the Inception podcast. Yeah. Or is it all just a dream, Andrew? <laughs> Don't worry. We'll be asking that question in a little bit. But I do. I like that. Again, this is the thing where I don't know if part of this is just that Lynch is, <laughs> Lynch is very much indulging a perchance for you know, hanging out with very attractive women, or if Lynch is playing with this idea of himself and mortality and of this idea of Gordon Cole (laughs) as somebody who is obviously a character that he's playing and is maybe distinct from himself or playing with this idea of, like, this image of himself 
and like how I, self-aware it is. I'm, I'm inclined I'm not... to fudge. <laughs> <laughs> the line between the two, yeah. yeah I think it could, <laughs> it could be both. It could go either way. A bit right. of column A, a bit, a bit of column B. But yeah. it, again, and this is the thing with Lynch, it's like, finally, Lynch's ambiguity breaks in his favour. It's like, <laughs> it could be anything. But I, I kind of like that. And again, this is the thing where the thing The Return does really well is it captures a sense of age and mortality. And part of that is like this acknowledgement of like sexiness and this acknowledgement of like, Attraction, yeah, because it's a, like Twin Peaks is such a horny show. Yes, it's a very horny show. Yeah, um, no, like return- you're watching it, and it's like this is terrifying, and also like I'm turned on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and but like that's very much, and I really love that about it. And again, we like we talked on other podcasts about how sometimes the use of sex in movies makes me uncomfortable because obviously I'm I'm repressed, I'm deeply deeply repressed. <laughs> um, but no, we talked like it. It can be something when it's used exploitively that it makes me uncomfortable. But like, it isn't just that like Twin Peaks The Return is horny. Twin Peaks The Return is sexy. Um, And it's got this sort of like vibe running through it where it doesn't really feel exploitative. Like the the, the, the kind of the, the sexy aspect of it isn't like, it doesn't feel predatory. It feels playful and it feels aware and it feels like it knows what it's doing. And it's got a wry smirk on its face. Like it, it's, very wholesome, everybody's having fun sort of sexy, which is kind of rare. That doesn't sound sexy. Sorry. <laughs> well, Andrew. You're t- <laughs> no, sorry. Actually, the second you- part of that um, <laughs> makes, makes it sound worse. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Very wholesome was the bit I objected to. <laughs> everybody's having fun. It needs to be dorthy. <laughs> um, I, like, I like the idea that Andrew's like, everybody's having fun. This can't be sexy. <laughs> Yeah, surely two people can't have fun at the same time. (laughs) Bring me back to, um, what was it, Netflix and chilling, I think is how we're describing that sequence. Um, But yeah, a lot of people have learned a lot of things today. (laughs) Yeah, about Andrew in particular. Oh, Um, no. (laughs) um, But yeah, and again, I quite like, and we've talked about this on, on podcasts before, and I know this maybe infuriates, I suspect it maybe upsets you a little bit. But how much of Twin Peaks exists kind of out of frame, or much of the return in particular exists outside of frame, how much of this is information that we don't hear about, that we don't actually sort of like, that we don't necessarily, that we don't actually, that we do hear about, we don't actually see. So, for example, like Billy is the most obvious example where there's this entire soap opera subplot branching out from Audrey Horn that involves characters sitting at the roadhouse who know Tina and and sort of like Chuck, who gets punched in the face by Freddie's green glove of justice. But like how you have even like things like Warden Murphy and Strawberry, uh, Mr. Strawberry, um, and how that's never explained exactly what that is. But it's, you know, enough that it's like it's obviously blackmail material. And I like that, like the show builds a world that is so vast and open that you can imagine all these other things nested inside of it. We've talked a little it's bit. It's so vast and open, but also, as we've established, it's capped at law enforcement. <laughs> yes. so there's absolutely no way you can go the higher. the FBI and who are answerable to no one. <laughs> <laughs> no accountability whatsoever. But yeah, like I, I like that, that there is this sense of like, and we talked a little bit earlier about like genre hopping and how Twin Peaks can sometimes, the return, can sometimes feel like you're flicking between channels. But it feels like at least one of those channels is still the original Twin Peaks. You're just not seeing it. it was 90 it. FM. The one that you did, like, like, 
the, what, there was just one radio station that, and I suppose that's enough. Um, that 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 had the 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 woodsmen on it, and I I, I kind <laughs> of gratified to find out that there are lots of fan theories about about who those who those kids were. Um, uh, I've heard that kind of like people say that um that that's Sarah Horn. Um, oh, interesting. Well, did somebody not say that earlier? Sarah um, Palmer, I thought. Sorry, sorry, Sarah Palmer. Um, there is no Sarah. I was about Horn. to say that. That's why I thought it was a bold theory. <laughs> um, it's, it's a cunning gambit. We're gonna no, because that's like the first thing I thought when I'm yeah, like it was Sarah Palmer, 1956. I wonder who these kids are going to grow up oh, to, to be. be. Turn out to be. Yeah. yeah. How? Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, and again, this is probably something that we should probably have given its own section to, but I don't know. When we talk about like that section in episode eight and we're talking about things like the the nuclear bomb going off. There's and again, it, it's come up in the comments, actually. Um, I think that uh, Eco Rick uh, and Mr. Green have been discussing it. The question of doppelgangers and doubles as they appear in Twin Peaks and as they appear sort of like there's this all constant doubling that runs to the show in terms of characters and locations. We talk about like how you obviously have like Maddie and Laura, but you have other the, the Renault brothers, variously speaking. You have all these sorts of things that mirror one another and sort of run through. And one of the interesting things about The Return is that it takes the doubles that you associate with Twin Peaks. So, you know, you think about The Lodge and you think about like, you think about Cooper and Evil Cooper or whatever. And it adds a wrinkle. The good Cooper. The good Cooper and the bad Cooper. September on CBS. (laughs) Um, That would be amazing. Um, Another show that nobody knows about. Or was it like um, CBS All Access? Yes, have the good fight. Uh, as, 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 yeah, a spinoff of um, the, of good, the wife good wife. Called yeah. the good fight. But just good, sort of good Cooper is coming. Yes, good Cooper is coming soon. But just sort of in context, in this context, right? Because we're talking about like one of the interesting things that the return does with this, like contrasting and doubling and back and forth. And like, I mean, you even have the scene with Red and. Um, Red and Richard, where he's talking about this coin is you and me. It's like I'm I'm this side of the coin and you're you're that side of the coin. And you have that sort of comparison going on there. But the third season suggests triple gangers um, instead of doppelgangers, in that it's very much about trinities rather than you know sort of rather than like doubles, straight up doubles. So you have the idea that like you have three different Coopers. You have Cooper, you have Mr. C, and you have Dougie, for example. But you have the sense of characters sort of arranging themselves uh, in trinities as well. You have the three Candy and the other two girls, for example. You have the three detectives Fuzco, for example. The three main locations of the show, which are Twin Peaks, Las Vegas, and South Dakota. Um, And you have this sort of idea... That like, and again, this is something the original show did quite well. The original show did this with Twin Peaks, Vegas, South Dakota. I'm sorry, I am picking um, a little bit, but you've New York as well. Yeah, but New York is is in the opening episode and gone. It's then only appears in a uh, you know, it then only appears in a quick card of Cooper, a shot of Cooper. Um, Do you need to go to the bathroom, Andrew? I do indeed. All right, I'm going to continue talking about triplicates and and triple gangers, as it were. Uh, but yeah, no, this, this is sort of one of the things that uh, that I find and, interesting. And in those insurance claim forms, they were all in triplicate. <laughs> that, thank you, Andrew. Um, Andrew's sort of poking poking holes in my theories, is what <laughs> Andrew's doing here. Uh, but yeah, no, because we, we, we were talking about like this idea of the doppelganger on the threshold, and like one of the things that I, I like about the return, and it's kind of interesting, and it kind of gets to talking about the final episode, which we're going to be talking about in a moment 
is this idea that, you know, it's not simply a binary equation. It's not like good and evil. It's not like there's a good me and a bad me. It You know, it's more along the lines of, again, you have that Freudian concept. And again, you know, Frost, I think, may be into this. I know that Lynch rejects this idea of psychoanalysis, I think, uh, and that sort of stuff. But it, you have this concept of, say, you know, the, the, the id, the ego and the superego. But you have this idea of the Trinity. And I mean, there's a great sequence in uh, Twin Peaks where Cooper is drawing on the blackboard um, and he draws, obviously, you have the two triangles, which represent Twin Peaks, the, the twin mountains, how those mountains are represented on maps, you know, and, and this is on like standard kind of, you know, standard maps, uh, OS ordnance survey maps, but even in sort of Hulk's, you know, map that is, you know, very old, but always current um, or always present is that you have these two triangles. Um, they become the two peaks. And then in contrast to that, you have the Trinity. Um, as worth noting that the Trinity is the, the nuclear bomb test. Obviously, it was the, the project codenamed by Robert Oppenheimer to develop the nuclear bomb that was detonated on July 16th, 1945. But like there's a moment in the original series of Twin Peaks where I think Cooper draws the, the nuclear sign. And the nuclear sign, in case anybody hasn't seen it, is three triangles. It's the the logo of twin peaks the two the two peaks the two triangles with a third triangle drawn underneath it and it's kind of interesting that it suggests that maybe in the world of the return that you have this sort of uh sort of contrast at play there you have this sort of idea that uh you know maybe you need a third balance like maybe you have mr c and you have dougie but you have to reconcile them into a whole. You have Cooper as well, and you mix them together, and eventually you get a person. That it's not as simple as saying this person is good and uh, this person is bad. But then, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit sort of facetious there. Uh, just in terms of uh, kind of other stuff that I made, random, random note-taking. Um, yeah, in a, more inappropriate smoking, actually, which is great. Um, the the idea of like Diane, in, you know, smoking repeatedly um, throughout the film, like a, throughout the series, like a chimney. Uh, which is great, another 250 trope. We're always very excited when we see inappropriate smoking. Most of this is sort of historical based, like when we're watching an older style of film, uh, when we're watching a film that was made, say, in, you know, the the 1960s or 70s when smoking was more socially acceptable and sort of comparing oh, yeah, that to like smoking. where we would, yeah, where we would sort of expect to see that and sort of like having the contrast. So like seeing doctors smoke, for example, in 1950s or 1960s cinema is quite a strange and distracting thing for modern Hello! Morgue, Darren. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about here. Thank you very much. Andrew got it in one. But yeah, Diane constantly smoking, lighting up like a chimney inside police stations, inside morgues, which is great. We haven't talked at all about Diane, which I'm actually kind of a little bit disappointed about. Diane is great. Uh, and it's great to have Laura Dern there as well. Yeah. And again, this is one of those things where it feels like that sort of... And we talked a little bit about this Uber Lynch project. I'm not I'm not like a huge uh, Dern uh, cheerleader, but I, 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 I do kind of like... Uh, I do love her in uh, Twin Peaks and Jurassic Park um, and this. Um, and it's... Um, uh, it's disappointing... <laughs> Like it's 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 funny um, that everyone in the room was kind of like thinking about shooting her. 
I did, 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 did kind of like in, oh in, that they all had the gun drawn <laughs> episode 16 enjoy that uh, scene there's something so crazy about that the whole kind of like drawing their guns and bang 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 <laughs> like Except are there holes in that wall is there are there people like it's a lynch movie so yeah. is there somebody behind that wall who got clipped <laughs> I mean, I really like the the exchange that happens at the start of episode seventeen, where you know, or you know, Cole says I couldn't do it, and Albert responds, "You're getting soft in your old age." And Cole's response, which is again ties into this question of like Lynch's sort of is Lynch a horny auteur, where he's like, "Not where it counts, buddy," uh, which is great. It's a really great line, uh, and I thought Andrew would appreciate that in particular. But yeah, there's there's something sort of very um, that I really really like about that. Also worth noting, actually, Bushnell, um, who runs it's Bushnell Mullins, I believe is his name, who runs the company. I suspect he may be named for uh, Bushnell. Batlin Bud. Batlin Bud Bushnell. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I believe he may be named for uh, Bushnell Keeler, who is an artist who worked with Lynch very early on in his career. In fact, one of Lynch's first uh, early short films was, I believe, My Journey with Bushnell, where he went fishing with him and he shot a, a video on sort of like this little handheld video. But yeah, Bushnell Keeler was a huge influence on uh, Lynch as he was sort of going along. And I wonder if the character of Bushnell uh, was named sort of in honor of that. Because Bushnell's a very particular first name, I think, isn't it? You don't have too many Bushnells. I uh, yeah I, I mean it's the first and second one I've ever heard of. Um, so um, I was wondering whether whether Bushnell's in that little um, uh, short video on a loop that um, uh, um, uh, Sarah Palmer oh, is watching. Oh, watching with the thing yeah. there. Yeah. Um, oh, in ter- in terms of other stuff, actually, we should mention this because I think one of the interesting themes of the return is this idea of how disconnected we all are to a certain extent, how we're all drifting apart. You know, when you have that literally with the idea of like, is Cooper going to come together as a single functioning human being? But one of the things I really like is that sort of reflects the production process of this. And we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about like, um, you know, we're talking about like the way that uh, Mark Frost wrote this over Skype with Lynch mostly because um, you have this over computers now so you can do it very very quickly because he didn't want to be in the room with Lynch doing secondhand smoke but even say the composing um, by sort of Angelo uh, Battlementary Battle- apologies for mangling that I'm very very sorry it's like uh, a clip in <laughs> Phil saying it yeah uh, put, it, put it everywhere but yeah, so Angelo, basically, who um, who was his composer, he worked over sort of Skype as well. And he would actually compose sort of on the fly. And there's a re- really great story about like the end of, I think it's episode 11, uh, where he basically the, the music that was played with uh, Smokey Miles when he's doing it on the piano. Um, and it's just like Lynch will tell Angelo what he wants in terms of mood. Again, it's like he directs actors. He's like, well, you're very sad now. You're getting sadder. You're getting sadder. And then you get a little bit happy and you're sad again. Um, all, 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 all the characters have just had their ice cream taken away. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Like, so like when they're shooting that scene at the end of episode 11, and it's again, I absolutely love this. I may actually see if I can find this. I think I may have heartbreak sort of on here, possibly. Um, heartbreaking is what it's called. And I'm going to play it in the background here as I've been uh, sort of. I'm going to make a real fuss of being able to hear it there. Are you? <laughs> no. Okay, cool. But, uh, yeah, so listeners can probably hear that in the background as it's sort of playing there. Um, morning, Carl has joined us. Hello, Carl. Welcome back. Good morning, um, Carl. 
So yeah, we're, we're doing the sort of random grab bag of bit at the end of the podcast where we talk about things that we haven't talked about already sort of as we get through. I, I enjoyed how um, Evil Cooper had a teenage girl phone. Um, with the with the kind of did you, you don't remember that? Oh bit? yeah, the pink one where he throws it on the ground and yeah, has the, to sort of shoot it. The pink kind oh, of the pink flip phone, phone. Yeah. flip phone. Yes, yeah. he giggled. He was, yeah, I remember that when he was time, sending old school texts. He's a little better at it. He's like than a I little think sticker a... with a unicorn <laughs> on it. <laughs> so nobody ever sort of suspects. Carl thinks we're sounding great. <laughs> good, good. Um, I, I. Uh, the uh, line as well in that season of uh, uh, sorry the line in that scene of um, uh, Chantal give the boss man a wet one yeah. <laughs> kind of um, uh, uh, is this the, that thing where you were confused and horny <laughs> yeah exactly com- com- <laughs> confused horny horny uh, <laughs> disturbed um, yeah the, the um, where. <laughs> Where it's 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 kind of uh, calling back to that um, uh, uh, previous kind of disgusting line. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Um, the Blue Rose, uh, which is interesting, the Blue Rose Task Force, uh, which is again sort of you get an origin story for it and you get an explanation for it, and it's probably as good as Lynch is ever going to give on that terms. It's kind of interesting because the Blue Horn, the Blue Rose, is actually, I believe, a reference um, to Tennessee Williams. Um, I believe it's actually sort of something that's referenced in the Glass Menagerie, to pick an example. And I think it may possibly have been influenced by that. I think that it may, that's maybe sort of like where it owes its sort of, uh, its origin to. Is like the, the idea that it, characters in Tennessee Williams' Gla- uh, Glass Menagerie uh, discuss about how unusual or how uncommon uh, the blue rose is. Uh, the blue blue is the wrong colour for roses, um, one character states in the Glass Menagerie. It's also worth noting in that context that Lynch uh, actually famously banned the set of blue from Twin Peaks, although it does appear, in, you know, in the original Twin Peaks. He actually banned the colour of blue. He didn't want it there, apart from the one big example that you're thinking of right now, I bet you. Laura Palmer's graduation p- poster or picture. That has oh. a blue background on it, which is apparently the rare a rare example of where it is. So I like the idea that, like, in the world of Twin Peaks, which is a world that's created by Lynch, like, Lynch has created the world of Twin Peaks, and the show's not exactly sort of subtle about the idea that they're living within a creative world. We are living within a dream, after all. But you have this sort of, like, idea that, like, blue is an unnatural colour in the world of Twin Peaks, but not necessarily because nature decrees it, but because Lynch, who is the director and the creator and the auteur, has decided that blue has no place in this world, which is kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Is that sorry. True? No, no, no. That, that, I, 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 I hadn't realized that. I was um, trying to kind of um, go through and, 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 and think of other things that I kind of remarked upon or enjoyed. I really enjoyed that um that uh Shelley um uh, uh Becky uh, uh stunt where she Oh with the car whether yeah. she hops on the hood of the car I, I like like I I I thought that was terrifically well done where the like the the um uh the shot and the edit with with her kind of like flying off the car like that um it um was I was, I was just really impressed with it I like it. I, 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 nothing really more than that. It's just I like that stunt. 
um, we're still working through to see what 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 else we could. Um, uh, well, we're actually we're we're coming up fast on the one hour threshold, actually. Really. Yes. As in, we 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 have uh, a, oh. an an extra hour to go. We only have one hour to go, and in, in a couple of minutes, we're about two minutes out. Still um, feels super long. It? <laughs> I don't know, actually. I'm I'm surprised at how efficiently this whole thing has gone. Um, I'm feeling brand new. All right, deadly. So, uh, but yeah, just just in terms of of this sort of thing, um, it is worth noting, actually. Um, there's the, the question when you get to the end, the dreamer, because dreaming is obviously like a huge part of this, the whole like and you have the sequence in episode 17 where it's overlaid over Cooper's face. And there's this whole question of like, um, who is the dreamer who dreams the dream? Um, and like Gordon asked this question while dreaming of Monica Belushi, of course. Uh, but you have this sort of like back and forth where one of the big debates in Twin Peaks fandom at the moment is whose dream these characters are trapped within. And, you know, the smart answer is to say, well, they're obviously trapped within David Lynch's dream because Lynch has talked about how he's occasionally visited in his dreams by these characters. And that's part of what inspired him to write The Return. But there's something kind of interesting wondering, is this, you know, is this Laura Palmer's dying dream to pick an example? Is this Cooper's dream to a certain extent as he's lost in the Black Lodge, maybe? But it's kind of fascinating to pick that apart. All right, then. Yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry. I'm. I'm. I'm kind of losing the. Um, ab- 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 the will to live. <laughs> All right. Um, already. It's, it's. This is going to be a series of Darren saying something interesting and 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 Andrew saying. Um, oh, look at that. Um, um, saying saying something much simpler. Um, the scene where um is it is it hawk or is it um uh, uh truman who's a who's approached in the in the in the in the police station not not by um not by Kara but one of the other police and and they i think they interrupt it like a is it a meeting where he comes in and he says oh yeah are you are you interested in seeing my new car again this is the wonderful thing about tone because it's that's at the end of the scene it's hilarious where, yeah it's a sequence where like hawk has done the big thing where he's explaining the evil that they're doing it's like well, we're gonna go here we're gonna go track this it's may it's it's maze which is fertility but it's black which means death and, you know, you can read all sorts of stuff into that about, like, Judy and Bob and the mythology of the show. It's like, what's this symbol here? Well, you don't want to know about that, what that is. Really? Really? And then there's a knock on the door. And he's like, Sheriff Truman, Sheriff Truman, would you like to see my new car? Huh? <laughs> it's like, no, I'll take a look at it tomorrow. And I, I love how, Tr- how Truman's like this sort of, like, dad figure. It's like, I can't say no. That would be cruel. I can't. That would be unreasonable for me to say, no, you're a grown man. You can look at your own car. Thank you very much. But uh, I do like that he's like, uh, no, no, I, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I don't have the mental energy now to process this, but I'm also not going to be so rude as to tell him no. I'll, I'll do it when I can. Yeah, God give me his patience. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he, he tends to have a lot of patience. Uh, well, I suppose you have to be when you're working in Twin Peaks. One imagines with the residence that you have. With that wife, am I right? Jesus, Andrew. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> oh, uh, one thing I liked actually, um, and this kind of ties back into the triple gangers. When Cooper, oh, my wife says to me, <laughs> "Okay, Andrew, whoa, um, what, Andrew?" Um, but yeah, so like this, this thing when take my wife, please. <laughs> 
when Cooper crosses over into the real world and becomes Richard, if that's what, what actually happens, I don't know. That's the final episode, just as a big question mark. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe this happened. Maybe it didn't. But worth noting that when Cooper crosses over into the mundane world, you know, where you've got this, it's a little more desaturated comparatively. But, like, it's worth noting that he's somewhat a conglomeration. He's not the Cooper that we know and love. He's a lot rougher around the edges. In many ways, he feels like he's kind of integrated Mr. C into himself. It's worth noting when he disarms the, the cowboys. That plays like a couple of the scenes that you see throughout the show where Mr. C casually disarms people who come at, with him, at him with guns. I'm thinking, for example, when he visits the trailer to pick up, uh, is it Daria and, um, Ray. and Ray in the first one where he disarms the guy who comes down the steps and then when the guy comes in, he just shoves the gun and knocks him out with it. But even I'm thinking about like when he's wrestling with Richard and he very effectively takes the gun off him there. As compared to when, say, um, Dougie is trying to wrestle with Ike the Spike. His disarming of Ike the Spike is much less elegant. Uh, the fact that he takes most of Ike's palm off with it. Uh, which is, you know, and I kind of wonder, like, is there a sense when, when... Well, like, when you're up against someone of the caliber of Ike, of the, Spike, Ike the Spike, you don't have the option. He's not one of these chumps. <laughs> he's, not, he's not like Richard Horn. No. Uh, he ain't no Richard Horn. And he ain't no uh, whoever that is guarding the Dar- Daria and, and Ray's trailer. You need to put someone better at your door. <laughs> like great Ike line. the Spike. <laughs> <laughs> to give one example. Oh. Wally Brando. <laughs> Have you considered a spike? Maybe an Ike. <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin is so good as, as Mr. C. Uh, he really is. There's just such sort of pure, focused, single-minded malevolence there that I absolutely adore. But like when Richard crosses over, or when he's Mr. C or Richard, when he crosses over and when he disarms um i when he when he disarms sort of the cowboys at the bar and he shoots one of them in the foot um it's the, the, it's very much like a mr cowboy, c move the cowboy who gets shot in the foot takes off his his his, his boot his, his boot yeah it's like he doesn't want boot in his cut <laughs> <laughs> and but, then the um there there's there's kind of um he doesn't quite um do the, I don't know like what what um what was going on in the scene because he kind of like walks over to the friar as and he, he, it's a strange thing because he's like how do I hang this up? <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's like well, like isn't it obvious? Tool. <laughs> um, you're, Thank you're, you, Andy, with your but you're carrying acting. three guns. So, like, um, oh, no problem, sugar. Here it is. Um, but, um, <laughs> but also the indifference of, like, I don't know at what temperature that I was born. Yeah. At. The, gu- the bullets Everything may go Everything about off. that was kind of like, uh, uh, are you sure you you know what you're, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you're doing? I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> um, Accidentally uh, kill a short order <laughs> chef. And he puts the three guns in, and there's one sticking out. <laughs> like, uh, not in the oil. He's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but there is that, like, I, I love that whole sequence because it's so uncomfortable and so uncanny. Because it feels like there's something wrong. And it's very, very effective at sort of communicating that. And I like that, yeah, the, the idea that, like, Laura's scream becomes the sound of the wind howling repeatedly over the course of the hour as well, which is very, very effective. And even the contrast between Dougie going home um, and, and again, the idea that, like, 
Cooper wants to take Laura home, but he can't. And instead, maybe the thing to do would be not to make the copy of Dougie, but to stay with Janie E and with Sonny Jim and embrace that as the possibility of home. Make a new home, make a happy home, rather than like trying to take a survivor of that sort of assault back to the place where she was assaulted. That thing about creating copies of yourself. That's oh, not, with the golden seed in the yeah, hair. Yeah, that's not real, is it? We, Why? What are you considering? Can... Andrew's like, I would love to no, host my podcast. Making our podcast. right? <laughs> um, each one of them is gradually duller than the other. Yeah, um, yeah, but they can perform similar tasks. Like, like hosting an 18-hour podcast. Yeah. 